Hey, everyone. Hi. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Alice. Hey, Reza- now. Greg, what are you doing here? Hey, what do you mean? What I- Allison, where did you, you come from, Greg? I came from the world of childish, and I just want to make sure that your listeners know that you're just as wonderful on the, on the other podcast you do. What if they don't have kids? Don't need them. You don't need them. A lot of our listeners actually tell us they don't have kids. We talk about sex. We talk about all sorts of dirty stuff, but also parenting stuff. Yeah, so. Check out Childish, new episodes every Wednesday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey everyone. Hi. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Allison Rosen is your new best friend. I'm Allison Rosen. It is very, very hot in California. And uh, my guest, who I will be introducing shortly, wrote a piece about deciding to stay in New York despite everyone moving to LA. And reading this made me think, I really wish I still lived in New York. And it just ignited in me this loathing of my current life. And on that happy note, I would like to just check in with my producer, Tony Thaxton, to see what's going on with him. Tony, being hot puts me in the worst mood. Uh, You're doing great. I mean, referring to your your life as, uh, what did you say? Uh, Oh, I said I loathe my current life. Yes, yes. You loathing your life. Sounds great. I'm sure Daniel and the kids are happy to hear that. I'm sure they would love that. uh, Hey, they, you know what? Your life, uh, I'm also happy to hear it. I'm. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I'm honest and I just say what's on my mind. That's what everyone loves about me. (laughs) As I'm wiping a sweat mustache off of my lip. Um,. Anyway, how, how are things, Tony? Things are all right. Um, nothing too exciting going on. I had a couple friends. The first, I'm, I'm a little exhausted, though. I had uh, friends staying with me from Boston all you week. Did. And uh, they left today. And it was great to see them. It was great to hang out. I hadn't seen them in a year and a half. But uh, I wasn't used to like being around people 24-7. Yeah. Because uh, I feel like that's a lot anyways when you have people stay with you. But It uh, is. How many days did they stay with you? They were here. They got in late Monday. So, okay. And again, so a full it was great. Week. Had, yeah. Yeah. Had a good time. But, Are these uh, music friends? Yeah. Yep. Nice. Yeah, my friends that uh, the, the, when I've left and gone and played some weird wedding band gigs on the East Coast, it's a couple of the guys from that. Uh, yeah. So these are the guys who hook you up with your wedding gigs. Exactly. Nice. Play me some, some sweet money to play Jesse's Girl, you know, those kind of friends. <laughs> So, Tony, do you want to hear my existential stuff or my um, stuff involving poop? Uh, I'm going to tell go... you both. <laughs> I'll go existential. Though. Okay. I just want uh, that to be known. I hung out. Most exciting thing that happened in the pandemic. I made a new adult friend mm-hmm. via this podcast, Mary Lynn Rice Cub. I hung out with her last week. We got coffee. This is the third time we've gotten coffee now. And it felt wow. like... It felt like the like make it or break it hangout because I was yeah. like, either we're going to realize we had enough small talk, even though it feel, it's, it's deeper than that. But like we had enough, you know, steam to carry us through two coffees or mm-hmm. we're, our friendship is going to deepen. And like yeah. it was 
I mean, we practically shut that place down in the middle of the day, even though they're open for definitely like seven more hours. But I mean, other people came and left and we were still there, still talking. I feel like we are real true BFFs. But I said something to her. What'd you say? Oh, I just said congrats. Thank you. Thank you. I said something to her that I um, I didn't know what her reaction was going to be. But I, sh- sh- but I shared that I was thinking that morning, what I really crave and what I would really like in a social media feed is just nonstop posts from people who have achieved the things that I want to achieve, explaining how they're still unhappy. And I thought she was just going to be like, oh, that's, that's depressing, you know. But instead, she really honed in on it and related and then we just talked about like, is anyone happy? I mean, it sounds it sounds depressing as hell, but it really wasn't because we both kind of felt this way. And it was this conversation of like, is anyone happy? Like truly happy? Uh, right. And who? Uh, mostly in in the realm of entertainment, though. So we were just like, I was just naming you know all these big people, and we were like, are they happy? Are they happy? Most of them are not. Well, there might be a couple who are. Well, I mean, not a peek behind the curtain. Our, our our guest that's waiting today he's we heard it straight from his mouth he's a happy guy yes yes he did <laughs> he did say when we had some small talk before we brought him in he did say he was happy but i feel like that was the sort of he's probably in a good mood now but the longer we have him i think we can dismantle that <laughs> um and then that's the, the spirit <laughs> And then the other thing is, Tony, there's new poop outside my studio. I don't know what animal it's from. It is unidentified poop. It's sort of, um, it's like an inch long and it's a cylindrical. I want to say it's a bird, but I don't know. (laughs) I think it's a bird. But what kind of bird is leaving these? It doesn't coil like a bird poop you'd expect. Look, I had a cockatiel, a cockatiel as a kid, and I've had ducks and chickens. This is different than the bird poop I've seen, and yet still, so it's, it's not. It's not a cockatiel, a duck, or a chicken. Correct. Cross that off the list. Correct. Yeah. the The pattern, like the poop ballistics of it, makes me think it could be a bird, though, because I feel like it's dropping from up high. Oh, you know what? Though other thing, like, what's the squirrel poop? look like i'm wondering because it could be like a squirrel on the roof pooping i why do i feel like you've literally asked that question on the show before (laughs) it seems very familiar all my content is fresh and new (laughs) the listeners want poop content tony don't undermine me okay no i think i have i think i have because i think jackie johnson talked about there being like a lot of squirrel poop in her yard and i was like how do you even know what that looks like She's my first call when we end when we end this show. All I just right. I don't know what it is. I hope it's not rat poop. I don't think it is. No offense to my rat loving listeners. I don't know. It's just it's there's something unusual about it. I think it's yeah. poop with a story to tell. Um, <clears throat> speaking of people with a story to tell, <laughs> very excited to introduce my next guest. This is someone that I have been wanting to have on the show for a really long time. So I'm excited that it is finally happening. He's a comedian, a writer, an actor, a dad. Uh, He hosts the beloved long-running podcast, Beautiful Anonymous, where he talks to random people, anonymous people. They call in, and the rules are no names. He can't hang up. 
No Holds Barred. It's a really good idea. It's a really good show. Uh, he has also hosted, uh, well, this is just going to say, I like to say a bunch of words and then reveal who it is, but the name of his talk show will reveal who it is. He hosted uh, the talk show, The Chris Gethard Show, which I believe started as a public access show. So we will definitely get into that. He also did the one man why does one man show sound wrong to me? For some reason, my ears are just used to one woman show. What's going on? The one You're man show. <laughs> what? You're fine. You're I'm melting great. down, Tony. I, 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 these words sound right to me, and you got a thumbs up from our non-speaking guest. Did you, you know when your computer fan starts going and you're like, oh, something's happening here. Mm-hmm. That's my brain. My brain fan is going. Uh, the one-man show, Career Suicide, critic, very critically acclaimed. And now he has a comedy special slash touring documentary out called Half My Life. Please put your hands together for Chris Gethard. Hi, everybody. Hello. That's, that was so nice. And I'm loving this vibe, I have to say. Oh, good. I moved to New Jersey, though. I moved to New Jersey. Okay. When you wrote the piece, the funny was, thing is, okay, so it was in Vulture, part of New York yeah, Magazine, right? That was years ago, yeah. Yeah. When I read it, I just, first, because so many people have moved around during the pandemic, I assumed it was pandemic related. And then I realized, oh, this has, like, there's been no mention of the pandemic. And then I realized it was 2016. So you were in New York yeah. City at the time you wrote it, though. Yeah. And I still love New York City and I've stuck to the Northeast. I grew up in Jersey. I came back here. We had a kid mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, you need space. So we said, let's go to Jersey. But I remember the thing, because I'm not an LA hater. This article is not like, I hate LA. The main thing people responded to, I remember like my LA friends who had spent time in New York, I pointed out like at 3.30 in the morning, I can walk out of my house and eventually we'll pla- pass a deli where I can get someone to make a turkey sandwich for me uh-huh. at 3.30. And that was the thing all my friends were like, I miss that in particular. And yeah. that that I felt like, okay, that's that's a cool New York button. But anyway, so <laughs> well, much to respond to. You made an interesting, just to, to, to dive right in, even though there's, right, to dive right into the deep stuff, although there's other light stuff I do want to ask you about. Um, you made a point in that story that everyone is like, you could have so much success if you came to LA. Like there's all these career opportunities that aren't <clears throat> on the East coast. And you're like, but I don't know that career success equals happiness for me. Like happiness is the goal as opposed to happiness via career success. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Cause that is like directly correlated to what I was saying. Yeah, yeah, as you were saying that stuff. And then don't let me forget too, there's a thing that you need to know about that's happening here. And I get the sense you might not know what's happening. So after I answer this question, just (laughs) make sure, and you could see Tony and I both grinning. Um, But yes, I have had some career success. Well, just so you know, there's a thing that you don't know about that's happening too. (laughs) Great, everybody. Well, let me just put it out here that you don't know this. This is the first time Tony and I have spoken, but we have had a bromance going for like two years now. Yeah, no, I didn't. And I'm like nervous. I'm like kind of nervous. I got an ink. Well, (laughs) then let me tell you. So Tony received an email from a publicist uh, asking if we would be interested in having you on the show and Tony forwarded it to me and I was like yes I've been wanting him on the show for a while um, and then Tony's been pretty excited ever since like more than usual well I'll yeah, tell I'm you fan. well when Bizarre Albums came out I found it and 
my friend Mikey Erick forwarded it to me and is like, this is your dream show. <laughs> and I started listening right away. And I loved it so much that I did a thing that I often am too shy to do where I said, I'm just going to message this person, say how much I like it. Um, so I went on Twitter and realized that we already followed each other. Oh, nice. And I, mm-hmm. I DM Tony and then realized that years earlier, you had done the same thing for me about the Gethard show and I never answered, which made me feel like a real dick. And that's why we brought you on the show today, so I can finally confront <laughs> you about this. Uh-huh. Well, to, to be fair, I'm pretty horrific at um, social media. So yeah, I leg- you're, you're fine. I, I legit think I missed it, but you had sent me a nice artist-to-artist message about the public access show, I think. Or I don't know if it was on cable at that point. Yeah, I think it was. The, I never saw it till the cable version, but yeah, so then I it, liked it a lot. I real and then I was like, this is coming up totally organically. Like, A, I love your show. B, I'm just seeing your message from a few years ago. And then we've always kind of sort of like kept in touch in flitting ways. And I feel nervous because I feel like every once in a while in this v- extremely isolating and lonely industry, which first of all, we're not coal miners. We don't we're not getting a, you know No, we have it hard. Yeah, sure. Right. Like I do. Cause sometimes I do, I do feel like sometimes I stress about this life and I do just want to be fair. Like I'm not being like sent into caves and being paid in script that I can only spend at the company <laughs> store. Like I know that overall easy blessed life and I am a very happy person, but yes, every once in a blue moon in this isolating, bizarre industry where you cobble together your mortgage and pray that you can provide your family health insurance you meet someone where you go, I have a feeling we might be friends. And I have felt that with Tony. And now here we are speaking for the first time. <laughs> so I don't want to derail it with some sort of love fest. No. But that's a real thing. You no, guys. I'm very flattered. I felt the same way. So You guys are a regular me and Mary Lynn Rice Cub. Yeah. Let me be your inspiration. <laughs> we can do it. Tony, you played it so close to the vest. Because you and I talk all the time, not just about poop and like insects that I might see in my bathroom, which by the way, it's been insect free for a while now. (laughs) Um, Why didn't you tell me anything about how you uh, and Chris have this bromance, the uh, hoped for bromance? I I was trying to go for the old, uh, you know, save it for the show kind of thing. I thought, uh, but you knew it was going to come up, right? What's that? You knew it would come up. I, I thought it might. Uh, How weird would it be if I just answered all the questions and never mentioned? (laughs) Wait, we've also like DM'd and talked about working on stuff together a little bit vaguely. If Mm -hmm. I just never mentioned that, that would have made you feel weird. (laughs) You know, it's I I don't ever gaslighting. It's just it's all been very again. It's it's all been very nice. I was I was very flattered when I got the message from you. Uh, Yeah, because it's it's always nice to get messages like that. And then when it was like from a guy I don't actually know and I'm a fan of, like it was you know. That's very exciting. I so love it meant a, a good lot to me, so thank you. I love a good gaslight. Oh, no, please, thank you. <laughs> you know what it makes me think of? I don't know if you guys are going to relate to this or not. Uh, uh, this is kind of a... a, a fee- and I'm like uncomfortable with this specifically gendered language. However, what I was going to say is it's kind of a female experience, but maybe not. When I was younger, when like you would hook up with a guy... And then see him somewhere and he would act like nothing had happened. That is the, would be what it would be like if you came on the show and then did not acknowledge the intimacy that you and Tony have. And I would say intimacy is... Uh, what you have? I would say there is a, 
yes, we there's a level there's a level of interaction that has occurred never in spoken form that qualifies as I would say the lowest level of intimacy um person I I would say I would say I feel like I know you a little bit and we're talking for the first time right now. That's yeah. what I would say. And he for sure feels I'm not talking for you Tony. He for sure feels <laughs> like he knows you from your show. See, but now I feel like he's, now I feel like I'm pouring, okay, I'm going to get very real. I now feel like I'm pouring my heart out, and now I feel like Tony's playing it close to the vest, and I can sense that, and it's making me feel very emotionally exposed and vulnerable. Tony is, again, Tony, let me talk for you. Tony, uh, <laughs> This is why I'm not speaking, because she doesn't, explain she doesn't Well, no, I'm going to put you on the spot in a moment. <laughs> Tony is, he can kind of be a man of few words. Um, I don't know if you know this about Tony. I'm going to get very real for Tony. Um, <laughs> Tony, I hope this is okay. Tony I went through, you know where it's going? Uh, no, I said I don't know oh, where it's going. You went through what? A divorce. Okay. A divorce a couple okay. years ago. And he talked about it on the show and he opened up about it. And just the response of the listener was, was overwhelming. Like they appreciated so much that he had gotten so real and talked about it. Um, but it was very different than how he normally is man a few words well i feel like again i feel like i'm here to do a job i i know i'm a part of the show but like really i feel like i'm you know that's not the main reason i'm here so i mostly you know try to let you and the guest go well that's very considerate of you but i think chris needs a big gesture right now from you Well, no, I, I, and I genuinely say, I mean, as as he said, I wrote to him to him years ago when I had uh, first watched his uh, the cable show, uh, and then I really was like, I like he said, I, I was like, uh, I feel like if we knew each other, I feel like we would be friends. It seems like we have a lot of things in common, and uh, and yeah, from there, then I got more into his. Like, I really loved his HBO special. I just watched his recent new special the other night, and um, yeah. It's all great. I'm a big, big fan. So, Thank yeah. you. And answer your success. Yeah, no, I have no belief that per- professional success leads to any sort of lasting happiness. Anyway, <laughs> to loop it back around. <laughs> Is that, um, did you ever think it might? I still fall into the trap of thinking it might. And then, you know, I, I'm in a, I, I'm, it's a constant thing that I have to think about with my, because my mental health, I had to, comp- I had to disassociate the idea of profes- professional success giving it to me it could be a piece of it it could be a motivator it can be that dopamine kick that helps day to day but um now i'm in a, sp- a place where i've realized is is rather sad that needs some correcting where i'm now i've now convinced myself that career positives aren't going to get me the success so i don't necessarily buy into those but i will still let the negatives drag me down and i have i have to find that balance like if i'm not going to give myself the positive, I have to learn how to regulate the negative in the same way. Because I, I have had some real struggles. Um, my my pandemic mental health struggles, I think everybody had, and especially people who had dealt with stuff like that before all this, I, I, anybody who didn't fall back into it, God bless you, you're strong. I almost wound up in a mental hospital at one point during the pandemic. I'll just say it. Um And a big part of it was because I was having a lot of obsessive thoughts about some negative career stuff. And yet the positive stuff, I've learned to blunt that and Mm -hmm. and 
that's an overcorrection. But for me, I had I, I once witnessed a conversation. I was a fly on a wall for a conversation that actually gave me so much freedom because I was I came up at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater in New York. I started there 21 years ago when it was like just a shut down strip club that reopened as a comedy theater. And then it became this like success factory. And now it just closed in New York. It kind mm -hmm. of, I think like its success got so big that it capsized, you know? Um, but I was there as that built and I was very lucky. And I was once in the green room of that theater. And this was before anything had happened for me in my career. And I got to a show early and two other guys in the show were in like a side room and they didn't know anybody else was there. And I wasn't eavesdropping. Um, they were in a different room with the door semi-closed and I didn't, you know, like mm -hmm. I just overheard it. Wasn't trying to be a creep. And I hear one of them going like, yeah, I don't know. Should I move my family out to New York? Because if the job goes away, I'll have to go out to LA again. And I don't want my kids to switch schools and then have to switch back. And that, but then what am I just gonna not see them if it goes well? And, and the other guy's going, yeah, I'm, I'm worried I'm gonna get fired. And you know, it's not guaranteed that you're gonna get other stuff, shows, movies, not everybody does. And I'm listening to these people and my jaw dropped because one of them was at the time a correspondent on The Daily Show. Mm. The other was at the time in the middle of a super long run on SNL. And I'm sitting there in the green room of a, of a theater that's like a comedy theater where things are starting to happen for people. And where I've seen friends of mine move on and even like people I taught in the improv classes starting to show up on sitcoms and stuff. And I was, I later came without exaggeration. I can tell you that I later came to find out once things did move for me, I had people tell me to my face that I was kind of a cautionary tale that people were like, if it's not happening for like, that guy's really good. And if it's not happening for him, why should we bother? Like I was mm. the sad example. Of it doesn't happen for everybody. Um, right. And that's true. But I remember witnessing that conversation and I found it extraordinarily freeing because I was like, I sit here and stress about why I can't get a job. And I think about being a correspondent, a correspondent on The Daily Show. I think about working for SNL because those are the jobs that I want to get to take all my problems away. But I'm mm -hmm. listening to these guys just say their version of exactly what I feel now. And that kind of gave me this like secret weapon as I did start to move because A, as, as things kind of went their course with me, I, I felt a lot of freedom to do stuff that was ill-advised mm -hmm. because I knew it would make me happier. And that sometimes has worked, sometimes hasn't. And B, I kind of knew the jig was up a little bit on this idea that success was going to make me happy because I kind of was braced for it and it proved very true. That conversation told me, okay, like you're just fucked up and mm -hmm. you're going to remain fucked up. And in fact, when you get to a bigger level, the stresses might just like amplify as much as the level is. And, and that proved true. Like when I had my talk show, as it got to cable, you know, it went to a small cable network and then a bigger one. And, and the stress just got bigger each time. And sadly, by the end, some of the joy went away. And I'm really mad mm. about that. But yeah, like getting the HBO special, really cool. That's a feather in the cap for anybody who ever tries stand-up. At the same time, it also put this like magnifying glass on me that I, I was not in love with. And that magnifying kind of, glass of the press or just of increased awareness of you recognition um, i 
it, a twofold thing. One was the increased recognition. Like I'm not built for it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and like things have slowed down in me the past few years and I've been kind of okay with that. And I haven't really felt a need to get out there and scramble to regain the momentum I had in 2016, 17, 18, because like I had an incident once where I was eating in a diner in New York and my phone told me I'd been tagged in a picture on Facebook. And when I opened it, it was a picture of me eating in that <laughs> diner while I was still there. That's weird. And it was somebody in like a fan page of my TV show going, let's guess what he's eating. And, hmm. and uh, you know, like there was one time I was with my wife on the train platform and somebody on the platform just started going, Gethard, 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 like in this monotone voice because they wanted, to turn, wanted to, me to turn around to see if it was me. And I get that that's a thing people do. And I get that when you sign up for a public life, that's the type of thing that happens. But I'm also someone who was once on pretty serious antipsychotics for paranoid thoughts. Mm. So to like have someone taking clandestine photos of me, my shrink had to walk me off the ledge and was like, no, it's okay to be freaked out now because it's real. Mm-hmm. She's like, you're all freaked out because you're scared someone took a photo of you. But she's like, it's reminding you of what it felt like to not have a grip on reality, but now it's reality. So it's okay. And that was very freeing. That's interesting. But I'm not built for it. And then specifically the HBO special, talking about suicide and talking about depression, I felt, I feel like it helped a lot of people and I'm really proud of it. And I stand by it and I think it's funny. I worked hard on it. It also means to a lot of people, I'm going to be like the depression guy forever. And mm-hmm. it also means sometimes like I'm going to go on the road and then people are going to like come up to me after the show and they're going to want to tell me about the time they tried to kill themselves. And like, it's super sad. Mm-hmm. And it means the world to me that people are telling me that because they're going, and you made a thing that made me feel less alone in that. Also means sometimes like, like, you know, I'm not the only one on the call who lives the road life. Like also sometimes means like I go to a hotel room in, you know, Georgia and sit around all night and think about it. Cause I don't know anybody in this town and I don't really know what to go out and do. And I don't travel with a band. Like I don't have a built in. Sometimes it's just me. I go and I sit and I get message. I get social media. Message. So there's responsibilities and pressures that you take on. Mm-hmm. There's also parts of yourself you give away by living publicly and by making things publicly. And I was really braced for that. So in fact, success can sometimes bring about some fear and some sadness mm-hmm. as part of the package too, as much as they bring happiness. I don't know. I could talk all day about sadness. That's really interesting. So then um, is there like the idea that like, if that happens, I'll be happy. Like, do, are you, you don't have any of that. No, I don't buy it personally. No, it's you're it. you're right. I mean, you see it clearly because the goal well, line keeps moving. Like that, that's an illusion. Yeah. But I, I am often like tempted by that illusion. It makes life easier. That I cannot deny. I'm not going to pretend money makes that, life like, easier. Yeah, I'm not going to pretend that like making a bunch of money in because I had a I had an insane stretch where my cable show was on and my HBO special and I got a book deal. My podcast blew up all in the same. 18 months. So all of a sudden I had money for the first time. I'm not going to claim life didn't get easier. Then there's also the gross side of it too, which is like when people get famous, all of a sudden you're getting like free sneakers. And like, I'm wearing these Beats by Dre headphones that someone just gave me Yeah, because I was on TV, you know, like, or I did, I think I didn't appear. No, these uh, are orange because they were in like a gift bag that Conan gave me when I did his show. He gives good gift bags, by the way. 
but it's like you start to get like free shit and access to stuff and like it makes life easier but doesn't it doesn't fix whatever is broken in your soul mm-hmm. Th- that's how you wind up like there's so many tragic tales right Right. That's also why there's so many people who, not I'm not going to name names, but like people who I came up with who we started around the same time, who I think walked a much easier path than I did, mm-hmm. be it because of luck or because they're more talented than I am. In both cases, that's true. Sometimes I've seen those people become very well adjusted and happy with success. There's some people who I've seen become remarkably more um, shitty as people, if I'm being honest. So right, seen it. I don't want to fall into it. So I'd rather just try to fix my problems in a real way. You said that you almost ended up in a mental hospital during the pandemic. Yeah. What happened? I, so I should also mention I have a two-year-old son. Yes. Which is the best thing that's ever happened to me, but also means like I haven't slept in years and there's a lot of pressure with that. Yeah. Yeah. And we moved to a new house. We bought our house before the pandemic. Um, and then the pandemic happened. And our house, if, if anybody read about Elmhurst Hospital in Queens, um, the New York Times had done an expose where some nurses smuggled footage out to show how awful it was when the dialogue was still that COVID was just a flu. Okay. And they started calling Jackson Heights and Elmhurst, Queens, the epicenter of the epicenter. Mm -hmm. If you took a right out of my front door of my building in Queens and walked two avenues, you were at the front door of that hospital. Oh, so you were in the epicenter of the epicenter. So we were there. Our building told us we couldn't move. Um, We were, they didn't want movers in the building and it was a co-op so they can just make up laws. Yeah. So we had to find a place to go. We wound up like throwing my kid in the car dragging him out of the crib at 11 at night, like mm. packing a car all day with as much as we could fit. Only home he'd ever known, car seat. He never saw it again. We're living in the mountains for a few months, fighting with a co-op board, finally got to the house. Now I got to figure out how to like, you know, everything's broken in the house. Everything's expensive and I'm not making money. And mm. we've got a two-year-old to raise. There's a lot, you know, there's a lot. And then um, my stress just kind of boiled over. My mm-hmm. stress just kind of boiled over and my wife and I got in an argument again. And I'm not blaming her. A thing that happens when you have a toddler running around, let alone you're like, oh, plus every dollar I make on the road went away and mm-hmm. all our expenses increase. And, and there's just, this survival fear. Oh yeah. And we just like fled the worst neighborhood in America as far as that, like four people in the building I lived in died. Like four oh people died in wow. my building, in That's my building. Awful. So I, there was a lot, just a lot of pressure. And uh, my wife and I got in this argument and I realized, oh, this argument is coming purely because I'm slipping hard. And mm-hmm. then, you know, for those of us who have those thoughts, when you realize that you go, oh shit, uh, this, you know, this one got away from me. You know, when you're mm-hmm. like in an argument and you hear yourself saying something, you're going, oh no, this has nothing to do with my wife or what we're talking about. This is because I slipped and I didn't see it in time and now I'm losing it. And then I kind of lost it. and Slipped in terms of like anxiety, OCD stuff coming up? Yeah, I was having a lot of obsessive thoughts mm-hmm. and I should have been raising a red flag to my shrink about that. There were... Like I was saying before that I'll let the negative drag me down. Mm-hmm. There were a couple incidents where some 
people in the comedy world, it kind of became in vogue to take some pot shots at me. Oh, um, Tony, did you know about this? Tony no, was the I one who did so. it. It's why we first DM'd. <laughs> he called. He called me you a bunch. Promise of, not to bring that up. It was really weird. He used a bunch of like slurs, um, but they didn't. None of them applied to my actual background. It was really weird. He's like making. Fun, it was weird. No, it was not. It was not sweet Tony Thaxon. Um, yeah, it was just people kind of making fun of the fact that I've done like the emo stuff with my comedy, or but like. I would listen to it and they like, like someone like naming my name, like someone mm -hmm. saying, like another comedian saying, if you're a fan of comedy, how could you ever like Chris Gethard? Like saying it that blatantly. Who and is this? I know you don't want to say who I, it is. I don't want to even go into it like that because their fan base has just come at me and people use it as an excuse to open up more. But the real problem was I couldn't get it out of my head. Yeah. Did you think this person, had you thought of this person as a friend? It happened. There were three different people who it happened with all kind of from the same scene. Um, one of them was someone I had been close with and we kind of weren't, definitely already weren't as close as we used to be. And I, I thought we, we actually had been very tight for a while. And I, and that's somebody who actually, that one I go, well, I think he had some gripes with me and I think, I wish we had not settled it publicly. <laughs> yeah. I'm not settled. I wish he hadn't aired it out publicly. I wish, but he kind of felt like I had done some stuff to him i'm going at least i can see why he's mad mm -hmm. Cu couple the other two people i've literally never met before or since um so the the smart thing is to go don't care mm -hmm. these are people you've never met these are people who haven't done as many you know haven't put in the years you have doesn't done as much as you have and but it was much easier said than done and and if it hadn't yeah. been the pandemic i'd be able to just go on stage i'd be able to just go schedule some stand-up shows go up there click with an audience, click with the crowd, mm -hmm. get my last, feel their energy, let them feel mine. And that like, kind of centers, resets you. Because that's what it's all about at the end of the day. But instead, I didn't have the outlet. So I'm sitting here going, man, do all my peers hate me? Are there all these people making fun? If they're the ones making fun of me publicly, I can't imagine how bad it is behind closed doors. I can't imagine Ugh. the people who, which 90% is not true. You know, I'm sure there are. Everybody talks shit about everybody in the mm -hmm. arts, right? Not everybody has to like me, but I'm sitting here going, man, like, plus there, you know, I had a lot of these feelings of, wow, I'm going to just really air it out. I had a lot of obsessive thoughts about like, man, I'm not even really hearing from friends. Mm -hmm. Like this was a thing that was like being written up in a lot of places. How did the I one, miss all this? You, you Somehow uh, I did. No, I mean, the honest truth is I was a very small piece of a larger thing mm -hmm. um, that you didn't miss, but we're not, uh, some people I'll are be, I'll be looking this up afterwards. Yes, we'll talk about it all <laughs> okay. I was a very, very small piece of a thing that, that and the more important, a, a person got canceled for saying some stuff. Mm. A comedian got canceled for saying some stuff. I actually think I might know. Yeah, go, and then in yeah. the course of it, they also called me homophobic names for my HBO special. They said I was the F word for making mm -hmm. something that was sad. Um and then I heard the audio and it actually was about 20 minutes of them ragging on me. I was going, who is this person? And yeah. initially I handled it well, but then I think the nature of the pandemic, being so stressed out, being in my head, I mean, I would wake up and like before I even ate breakfast, I'd be sitting there going, oh man, I wonder if this person hates me. Oh man, how come these people I thought were my friends mm -hmm. didn't get my back? And then I said- And to, there, be, I, to be mocked for vulnerability 
is a I imagine a very shitty feeling. Yeah, not the best. <laughs> not the best. <laughs> right. And I've been mocked for a lot of things in my life. That's the thing. Normally I can handle it. And and I had a lot of friends where I'd go and then then you sit there you have the paranoid thoughts, right? This is where it got really bad. Have these paranoid thoughts going Man, you know, like there's a lot of friends I didn't hear from, but when I had a TV show and I was able to hire mm. a writing staff, I bet I would have been hearing from all these comedians having my back. Again, right. not a true thought. Yeah. Not because then I'd run into people and express some version of that, and they'd go, "I, a, a, a friend of mine was super sweet and went, you're the one who always gets our back.' Like when it comes to New York alt comedians, they were like, "You're the one who always protects the younger set." Like. Mm -hmm. None of us think of you as a guy who needs help, let alone from people who haven't like right. done as much stuff as you have. So I'm sitting here. I look back now, I realize, oh, these were very obsessive thoughts. These were thoughts that were not in line with reality. Mm -hmm. And when I, when I say like I would wake up and start thinking about stuff or I'd mow the lawn and the entire time I was out there, I'd be going, should I text this person? Should I do this? Should I call this person? After this? All day, every day for mm -hmm. a couple months. And then it, I just broke and... Um, looked up the nearest mental hospital, said to my wife, I might need to take a trip. And it was a weekend. It was like a weekend night. And I, I emailed my shrink and said, Hey, I think I, I think I might, I, I need your advice on if I should be heading into uh Is this Barb I, from your special? It is. I'm still with Barb <laughs> and, and Barb as, she, as she did at the end of the special. Once again, she, uh, she called me right away. It was like, I think it was like a Sunday at like 9.30 p.m. She got on the phone, talked to me. And after like 10 minutes was like, we're going to stay on the phone. She's like, I don't think you need to go to a hospital. She's like, I think, I think if you and I just stay on the phone tonight for a while, we'll get to a place where that's not necessary. And she was like, it's just so much paperwork and they might not let you back out. So yeah. let's just see. And I'll be honest with you. So yeah, it was rough. It was rough. But, and again, I, I also want to say too, I hope it's clear at this stage in history that like, I'm not saying like people talked shit about me and it broke me. I'm saying like it became a flashpoint mm -hmm. where I started dwelling and stuff. And I've since like switched medications and it stopped two days later. So mm -hmm. I think I actually probably was on medications that were no longer having an effect. Right. And then these thoughts became these very intrusive thoughts that just sent me to a, a woefully insecure place. And mm -hmm. that, you know, that feeling of loneliness that can come about that is the real killer. Like depression stinks, but it's when it, it's when it morphs into that, like extreme like loneliness. That's when you start to feel like, Oh man, you know, where you're like, Oh God, I'm like, I feel just so lonely. And that's when you're mowing the lawn and you're like, oh, maybe I should just fucking hang myself. And then you're like, what, <laughs> what did I just think? I heard yeah. myself think that that's not good. That's not good. And then you're like scared. Are you um, able to, like, is your wife a source of comfort when you're feeling super alone, isolated? Yeah. Yeah, she is. Um, and um, I think we have a really good thing going of um, she will kind of ask me if things are okay and I'm, I feel very, very free to just tell her like, oh, no, I'm having, I'm having a week where stuff's not making sense. And she's really respectful too. Like, you know, is there anything I can do? And when I'm like, not really, I'll just try to 
stay out of the way. And if I'm being a little weird, just let me be weird and I'll, I'll fill you in. I promise you good about that. But I think during that stretch in particular, there was so much other stuff going on with between moving and the baby and how, you know, getting reports from our old neighbors that another person in our mm -hmm. building, I mean, like I'm, I'm telling you like, it's like war for, four people in our building in Queens died. And then, I remember we we're still on the building email list. They go, Hey, just so everybody knows, like all the building services, we weren't in like a suit. We were in like a Queens co-op, mm -hmm. but they all have like a super and like all, all the buildings in Queens in Jackson Heights have like, you have your super and you have a couple porters and like getting an email. Cause you're still on this. Hey, um, just, you know, none of the building services are going to be, they're all suspended because every member of our staff has COVID. Like Jeez. every, so you're getting there, you're going like that. So I think I had, I had kind of clammed up and it had gotten dark enough that I wasn't, I, I was, I was, my, we were both going through enough that I felt like I needed to shoulder the load a little bit more to not burden my wife because she was stressed out. And then I think I was shutting her out a little bit because I was in denial that things were getting as bad as they were. And then that hit the fan. Mm -hmm. That hit the fan. So I'd kind of cut off her ability to be a support system, which she's actually really extremely good at being. So I didn't expect this one to get so real. I thought me and Tony were going to be buddies. And instead he's just like <laughs> watching me silent while I talk about wanting to hang myself while I mow my lawn. I think he's judging you. Classic Paxton. I've never, I've rarely, I haven't felt this judge since someone called me a homophobic name publicly. Tony, I didn't invite you on this podcast to make people feel small. You guys, I, I'm feeling ganged up on right now. I didn't even know that there were bad words for Greek people until Tony Thaxton started tweeting them at me. I had to explain to him, actually, my grandparents were Irish. He doesn't care. Uh, truth, truthfully. I'm just I I identify a little too closely with everything you're saying, really. Is uh, so I, I'm just listening and identifying. Kind of, you got a gas lawnmower or electric <laughs> or what? <laughs> Listen, both of you. Allison Rosen is your new best friend. Is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. As we begin to see light at the end of the COVID tunnel, a lot of people are still feeling down and emotionally out of sorts. I know I am. I feel real weird. You may not feel depressed or at a total loss, but if you're feeling a little bit off or your relationships are suffering, that could be a sign. You should talk to somebody. Online therapy can help. You guys know I've uh, been in therapy for a long time. Huge fan of therapy. I think it can help everyone who is open to it. Um, and I, I have two friends who are doing better help right now. They uh, had trouble getting in with a traditional therapist during the pandemic. They started with better help and they are both so happy that they're doing it. They really like the therapist. They were matched with one friend, the first therapist they felt like wasn't the right match with better help. If you feel like it's not the right match, you can change as many times as you want. No extra charge. They'll get you to the right person. So you don't have to be worried that it's like a commitment, you know, and it's not blah, 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 et cetera. Um, it's just, it's a, it's a really good service and it's also more convenient and more affordable than in-person therapy and financial aid is available. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash best friend. That's betterhelp, better H-E-L-P.com slash best friend. I also want to tell you guys about Embark. Chris, are you anti-dog? Wow, I feel very put on the spot. I feel like someone <laughs> slipped you some information. I'm not anti-dog. The fan base of my own podcast says I'm anti-dog. I'm not anti-dog. I that, just don't 
want a dog in my life. I've never had a dog and I don't really see a need for one. And at times, I, yes, I have found them sort of annoying in my yeah. encounters with them. Does that make me anti-dog? Mm, maybe. Uh, listen, I can. Th- th- we, are, we are so the same person in separate universes because the listeners of my podcast, and this was started by my former producer, Jeff Fox, they accused me of being anti-cat. And I'm like, I'm, I'm allergic. I'm not anti-cat. And then he like put together all these drops, like spliced together of me <laughs> talking shit on cats, which is all false. So I'm just saying, I understand feeling maligned. Well, this next spot maybe doesn't apply to you, but certainly you have friends that have dogs. Uh, I want to tell you guys about Embark. It is a dog DNA test, breed and health kit. Uh, we did this. It's super easy. It's just a cheek swab. Um, I did it with Wendy. She is a Cavalier King Charles Spaniel. So I wasn't like, I wonder what she is. Although I would have been interested if it turned out she was a little bit something else, but she was just across the board Cavalier King Charles Spaniel. But it's much more than just what breeds. But in terms of what breeds the dog is, uh, Embark is like more thorough, more powerful than the other ones on the market. Um, I have friends who have done both and uh, more detail with Embark. So very detailed, very comprehensive, but they also tell you what genetically and inherited conditions your dog might be at risk for or might have um another thing that I and then also you're con- you can be connected with other people who have relatives of your dog so like I'll get notifications saying that you know another relative of Wendy's is part is is part of the system now and I can reach out to them if I want um but something that I thought was really interesting so Cavalier King Charles Spaniels the breed standard is they're supposed to be between 13 and 18 pounds you guys know long-time listeners know Wendy was a lot of dog at 27 pounds and then I was shamed by a dog trainer she's now a svelte 20 19 or 20 pounds but Embark told me and I don't know how I, it's amazing that her genes revealed this but like Embark said she should be 20 pounds and they knew they knew she was a large lady I don't know how uh it's just, it's, they're great. Learn your dog's inner secrets with Embark, the highest rated dog DNA test. Right now, Embark has an offer on their breed and health kit for our listeners. Go to EmbarkVet.com to get free shipping and save $50 off your Embark breed and health kit with promo code BESTFRIEND. Visit EmbarkVet.com and use promo code BESTFRIEND to save $50 today. Um, so Chris, when I joked that there's something going on that you don't know about, what I was going to say is, uh, I actually, so I used to play in a band and we played with the Hissy Fits, your wife's former band, years ago. So I've actually met her before. Jaw dropped. Yes. <laughs> I also have to say, too, that this whole time I've been sitting here feeling like you and I have met. I don't know if that's true. It's possible that we have. Um, Hissy Fits era was before you were with your wife, right? Because. Yes. Um, My- and I lived in New York until 2010 and then I moved back but I did go to UCB sometimes well, I was um, around there starting in 2000 because I as we've been speaking I've been going this will come to light but that's wild because a lot of yeah. people know my wife from a band called the unlovables right um, and I actually so I know the way I knew the hissy fits was I knew Savon because I used to work at the OC Savon weekly and Hallie are still like best friends I love that please tell them. I say hi. Um, and then you must know Karen as well, right? Of course. Yeah, so I knew them. My wife is getting dinner with Savan and Karen tomorrow night. Amazing. 
please tell them Allison did says you, hi. So wait, you knew them from the hissy fits? Or? Yeah, so I so I worked at the OC Weekly when I lived in Orange County, California. And Savon was, I, I think she was doing, she was like 18 years old and she was doing something at the Glass House. She was somehow involved with promote, with working at the Glass House. And she had reached out to me, I think about covering the Glass House. Um, and then my band, I, I realize this sounds sus, sounds suspect, but also separately, it was not connected. My band played the Glass House. Um, and then I don't know how that turned into maybe just the Hissy Fits were doing a show in LA and we all, I think it was at the Alligator Lounge. We did a show with them. And then I moved to New York in <laughs> 2002 and I stayed in touch with Savon and like I met her whole crew. Did you hang out at B-Side a lot? Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's a whole thing. Wait, was that, that was before she had, B-Side was her bar, right? B-Side Savan owned. And my understanding was that there was a stretch in like New York music history where like if you were a music fan, that's where you were hanging out. Yeah. That's where a lot of the bands coming through town would hang out. And I still, I will, I will still on the regular meet people from all over the New York, like comedians all sorts of people who will come up to me out of the mm-hmm. blue and go like, you know, Hallie, right? Like you're married to Hallie. I'm like, yeah. And they're like, so that means, you know, Savan, I used to hang out at B-side. Like B-side was like, Savan was like the center of a whole I know. World. I was very impressed. I was like, how did she do, how did she do this? How did she open up a bar? How was she working at a club when she was 18, et cetera? Um, when I first moved there though, that was pre B-side. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think where we hung out. I don't know. And the, do you know that band, the spicy Rizaks? I do not. Okay, so Savon's boyfriend was in a band called the Spicy Rizaks, and they were also a comic book. Oh, that's Hallie cool. would know them. Yeah. I'm sure, and I bet I have met this boyfriend too. His name was guess. Josh. Oh yeah, yeah, yes. So see, indeed, we know is all he, the same people. Is he the Josh who is great looking? He was quite attractive. Yes, <laughs> there is a Josh in their influence who I know has played, and I think he might have played in Demander with them later too. Oh, maybe. maybe. Oh, wait, that might be this Josh. It's Josh Bernstein. That was his name. Um, he, I think he did magazine stuff and graphic design. Now you might be able to tell me because every story Hallie has about the Hissy Fits, the Hissy Fits were this band in New York that I think like was a part of the scene and had eyes on them, mm-hmm. but. It sounds like their shows were crazy. I don't recall being at like a crazy Hissy Fit show. Fun. I just, they have stories about that band. And I'm not trying to out anybody. And those are my wife's stories. But Holly Hissy Fit was the front person of the yes. band. And they were all quite young. And... It's it sounds to me like it like it, it's it's like a screenplay about a band. I wouldn't even say I would say like stories about people who are like going for it, but you know like nobody nobody there's no cut and dried way to go for it as an artist. Mm-hmm. So a lot of stories about like winding up on like a European tour and then realize what was one like Hallie. I think she was just telling me the other day a story about how they were on tour in Europe. And she was just reminding me last night, like stories like this, like they were on a tour in Europe and they were in England. And one of the members of the Hissy Fits thought that there was a ferry from England to Amsterdam. (laughs) And I guess there isn't, or at that time there wasn't. 
So then they had to figure out, well, we have a show tomorrow in Amsterdam and all our gear. And we thought there was a boat that was going to get us there. And there's just not. Oh, so God. how do you get to Amsterdam? And this was also <laughs> way before GPS and way yeah. before smartphones and way before the things that make it easy. So it's just like just four, four female artists in England kind of realizing in the moment, oh, we have to leave right now and we don't know where we're going or how to get there. Let's go. Like a lot of stories like that with yeah. Nancy Fitz. I forgot that they had done international touring. That's so yeah, cool. They went for it. And then Hallie, when Hallie left the Hizzy Fitz, she founded a band called The Unlovables, which was one of the big New York pop punk bands at the mm -hmm. time. And I was a very big fan of The Unlovables. Like owned their albums, had their lyrics memorized, like liked this band. So when when we wound up eventually getting together, I was I was flabbergasted because it was it it really was like wild. How the did you guys meet? Well, I started doing the Chris Gethard show at the UCB Theater. We would do it once a month, and one Saturday at midnight, and it very quickly like. I was just a pretty angry person. I still had a lot of stuff to sort out, but I was experienced enough on stage that it just really quickly became clear of like, oh, this show is like, it was a hot show. Like, I don't want to sound mm -hmm. arrogant, but it was like, you couldn't get a ticket. They'd put it on sale. It would sell out that day, 200 was, tickets or whatever. Was that before it was a public access show? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so it started it, just as a live show at UCB. Yeah, I, I, I basically had been going at UCB for like a decade and along the way I did some stuff that were just kind of sort of like like experimental or performance arty and and then I asked the artistic director there if I could host a talk show and he was like, everybody's always pitching talk shows. He's like, I don't want you to just like put on a suit and do like topical jokes and interview <laughs> people at a desk. He's like, everybody, there's so many of those. He's like, what if I gave you a talk show, but that's where you try to focus in like all the weird shit that you've been doing. And he said to me too, he's like, you know, you should call it the Gethard show because I had done a, like, I had done a few just really strange events that, that got like talked about a lot. And then mm -hmm. I'd be kind of embarrassed about them and go back to like improv. Um, and he's like, no, people like those dude. And people talk about those, <laughs> like stop being embarrassed about them. And then he was like, it's, sorry to stop you, but like, when you say embarrassed, why? Why Why did you feel embarrassed? Just because it was, oh, stuff was such an outlier and it it took me a long, for a guy who came up in the punk rock scene, it took me a little too long to figure out that like not, not being able to, I felt like they would maybe, like one of them was like a show where I organized boxing matches between different comedians and we, <laughs> The theater wouldn't let us do it there. So then we filmed them and screened them and we people were like betting on them. And this was in like 2006 or so. And like Amy Poehler came to the show. She owned the theater. And I was mm -hmm. like, oh my God, this is the first thing she's ever seen me do. I'm really, I'm good at improv and I'm good mm -hmm. at sketch. And so, so I'm sitting there going, I don't want these people knowing that the, I don't want them to think the weird thing is the thing I'm known for. And now Got I look it. back at it. It's such backwards thinking, right? Mm -hmm. I'm like, I shouldn't be embarrassed. Like they came out because this is interesting. Yeah. I shouldn't go, oh my God, this is what I'm known for. I should go, this is what I'm fucking known for. Mm -hmm. And it took me way too long to realize that. But the show would sell out. Now, there was a band called the Kung Fu Monkeys, I was a big fan of. And I had met James from the Kung Fu Monkeys a couple times when he lived in Los Angeles. We had a mutual friend. 
and he moved to New York and I reached out to him on a whim, didn't know him that well. And I was just like, putting together this talk show and he needs a house band. Is there any way you would do it? And he was just kind of bored and was like, sure. And he assembled like a bunch of the New York pop punk scenesters and they were playing in the band. And then- It's not James Sperber, is it? James Cahill okay. is his name. Um, and he, a lot of stuff on like mutant pop records, if you remember them back in the day. And the bullet points are James had to leave the band because he got a job in Canada. Mm-hmm. The band needed a new singer. Meanwhile, Hallie was in a show called Fuerza Bruta, which was this like aerial theater show that was very popular in New York. She would come and watch my show after her shows on on Saturday because she liked it, and the band would sneak her in. She'd like text Mike Yurk, who's in the <laughs> band, or or Bill Florio, or Johnny, who was in the band. And they'd sneak her in because you couldn't get tickets. And she says that the first time we ever spoke, there was one night where the show through a turn of events, I wound up hosting naked, and <laughs> like I totally tur- naked, like naked, cupping my 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 pee and my, my penis and my balls, and. <laughs> turned around realized she was sitting behind Mikey's drum set with him because they snuck him in (laughs) and I did a double take realized it was Hallie Unlovable and I just went oh no you're here (laughs) and that was like the first time we spoke which she was quite charmed by but then she was like a fan of the show and had been coming because it was like which meant a lot to me that other artists were coming out to see it but then when James left the show she had recently had a pretty catastrophic injury with her back performing Mm. in her aerial show. So they were like, would you want to write songs? And she was like, yes, I need something to do. Uh, Bad. So when we switched to public access, she became the band leader. And I was still scared to talk to her for months. We eventually did a road show in North Carolina and in like 20 of us all went down. We rented two vans and in the van we we got to talking and I finally wasn't terrified of her. (laughs) But that's how we got together. Was we were kind of mutual fans. That's so still. sweet. And I did so. I she put out a new Unlovables album like mm-hmm. after we got together, and a bunch of the songs were about me, which is every pop punk nerd's fantasy, right? Yeah. <laughs> like if you love a pop punk band fronted by someone who's of the ilk of the person you're attracted to, you have a fantasy of someone writing songs <laughs> like that about you. Yeah, and then that happened to me. It was the best. It is the best. <laughs> That's cool. I didn't realize that like she was do she was part of the band before you guys got together. That's really yeah. cool either. Yeah, because we, we got together when we the public access started in twenty eleven and June of twenty eleven we went to public access and she and I first made out October of twenty twelve. So it's like a year and a half. What made you decide to go to public access? And how was it? You'll like this. From what I can tell, this is up your alley. So we're doing the Gethard show and it's like this hot show at UCB. And then I'm getting a lot of attention from it, largely because I got P. Diddy on Twitter to agree <laughs> to come do the show. That's amazing. And then, and then he kept not doing it. So mm-hmm. that's part of why it would sell out is everybody was like, what if this is the month that Diddy shows up? Randomly? Right. So it was just everybody wanted to be there in case that happened. Um, so there was all this like all of a sudden there was a lot on my name. Mm-hmm. Like more than there'd ever been. And I wound up getting cast as the lead in a sitcom, taking over for John Heater, who played Napoleon Dynamite. Big Lake? Yes, Big Lake. And it it bombed hard. Um, 10 episodes, kind of a disaster. Made more money than I'd ever made in my life, but it was just a disaster. Mm-hmm. 
But I had quit, like I couldn't, I didn't have the energy to just stand up anymore or the Friday night show at UCB, the Sunday night show, these things I've been doing for years. I quit everything, but I was like, I got to keep the Gethard show going because that show is like so fucked up and strange, but that's my show. Like Mm -hmm. if you want my sense of humor, it's that. So I kept it going. Even I was like, I don't want to end it before Diddy comes. (laughs) And then Big Lake bombs. It was really hard. Some of the reviews are hilariously mean to me. Meanwhile, I like took over. Like this other guy left the show. I, I it was within a week of me being cast that we were filming our first episodes. I'm just like in the deep end. And when those reviews came out, like I wasn't hurt that bad. I was shell shocked. But I remember having this feeling of like the Gether show. That's what I fucking do, man. Like I don't even watch sitcoms. Like, mm-hmm. and I'm how am I gonna sit around and be sad? And and a lot of it went back to like my music, like. Like, you know, you both are musicians and I'm sure, you know, like, I'm not trying to sound like a tough, this will sound tougher than I mean it. I think you will know what I mean of like North Jersey punk kids, I think are kind of a specific breed of punk kid too, Mm -hmm. of just like, we feel like nobody believes in us. We're not New York. We're not Philly. So we just Mm -hmm. kind of do our own things in fucking basements in New Brunswick and American Legion halls that kids rent and put on their own shows. And we just go and fucking do it ourselves because fuck you, no one cares about us anyway. And that, that just sounds ca- similar to Long Island punk. Oh, I think very similar. Being close, being that close to New York City, yeah. but then kind of cast aside. Mm-hmm. Like everybody thinks we're kind of like trash. Everybody makes fun of us. So, all right, we'll just go do our own shit. And then every once in a while, somebody will break out of here and it'll be the best thing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, mm-hmm. you'll all fucking love Titus Andronicus one year. You know, you'll all love screaming females. You'll all love the front bottom. Like every few years, there's a band everybody loves. And it's Jersey because you put this chip on our shoulder and give us no option except mm-hmm. to just like do unique shit harder than you know how to. Like that's mm-hmm. kind of how I grew up. And I was reading these reviews about this sitcom and my agents were like, let's get you to LA right now because even though this one didn't go well, like now you're, you're hot. People are going to take you serious. Like you can get in the door a lot of places. I was like, fuck that. I want to do my show. They were like, no one's buying that show, dude. It's like insane and violent and <laughs> dark. I was like, I don't care. I'm, I'm not going to LA now mm-hmm. so I can what? Get on another shitty sitcom? Like, What'll that give me besides money? Nothing, you know? And this money is not making me happy. And like, it's making, like I said, makes it's making life easier. It's not making me happier, man. And right in that same window, Diddy came and did the show. And that oh, was Oh, he finally huge. did. That's amazing. He did the show in January um, of 20. Yeah. So that actually, I'll tell you, I give him a lot of credit in my career. Because I was like, these motherfuckers can shit on me all they want. I know Diddy's going to come and he's going to help. And it really (laughs) did help. And it gave me this thing that kept people feeling like I was doing cool stuff too. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't, I didn't really have the time or need to like lick my wounds that much. Because I'm like, I I still have the coolest show in New York comedy right now, you know? Yeah. So that helped, obviously. And then after Diddy... That was like in the New York Times and like the Source magazine mm. paparazzi outside the UCB theater and everything about that night was insane. And he was like lovely and charming, but also just a cartoon man, <laughs> all sorts of things about that. But yeah, a guy who I had used to teach in improv classes who I now played basketball with, he was talking to me one day and he's like, do you know I work at the New York Public Access Studio? 
And I was like, oh no, I didn't know that. He's like, yeah, that's my day job. He's like, I look at your show at UCB. He's like, I think it would be a perfect public access show. And I think like logic would dictate that if you were just the lead on a sitcom produced by fucking Will Ferrell, you'd go, no, that's humiliating, you know? <laughs> but it was just the Jersey in me. And like, I hate to throw it around because it's such an easy phrase, but it's just so true in this case. It was just like the punk kid in me was just like that sounds like the move to make like a show where I can do whatever I want. And he, and cause he told me too, he's like, you can make it live three camera studio. You can do calls. I was like, how much does it cost? He's like free. Wow. Like you're telling me I can get all that stuff for free. It's like, yeah. And we had had like, my show had had enough buzz in New York that some like production companies and networks had asked around about it. And then they'd mm -hmm. all meet me and they just thought I was a crazy person. <laughs> I'd be like, I want to do this thing that's interactive with the people in this way. And a lot of the stuff I was describing later, I think like became, I'm not saying anyone ripped me off. I just saw where it was going, where it was like, it's going to be more interactive. Let's mm -hmm. bring, let's bring audience members on screen. Let's have them interact with the celebrity guests. Let's like have the celebrity guests do something humiliating. Let's have the host put themselves out there in a way that like makes everyone a little like, confused about where the structure went like i think mm -hmm. a lot of these things now i just saw the writing on the wall but they thought i was insane i said okay if the only way i get to do my show as a tv show is public access so be it and it what year was this well, this was 2011 mm -hmm. it was not always easy and the early episodes tanked hard and a lot of the comedy fans in new york kind of bailed on me like the fans from the UCB show, they weren't showing up. Like it used to be you couldn't get a ticket. Now I would be like emailing friends like, please just come sit in the background so it doesn't look <laughs> as empty as it is. Yeah. But then we started having, one of the nice things about having that show is we could also have bands on. So we started bringing on a lot of the the bands from the, the Brooklyn DIY scene then was really, really strong. Like these venues that people, like Death by Audio and 285 Kent and Glasslands, Shea Stadium and- we started having those bands on and they started really telling the music scene about our show. Mm -hmm. And that kind of made it this blend of comedy fans and punk fans. So it kind of came full circle again, where I had let kind of left the punk scene and lost touch with it, but always kind of had those ethics. Then the punks came on my show and they had my back and then their fans started supporting me again and they started realizing like, oh, this guy thinks the way we do. And then the comedy kids who I think had that DIY impulse, but maybe not the outlet for it, that mm -hmm. became this sort of like cult audience surrounding my show. And then it, they helped it survive and become what it was. And then the next thing you know, I'm getting DMs from, from weird people who hate Greeks. <laughs> <laughs> um there's a video on your website where you tracked down one of your internet tormentors and interviewed him, which is like I didn't a even know that was up there. Yeah, it's like a fantasy I have. Uh, I think anyone who's in the public eye who's human has has this fantasy sometimes. Like, was that a fulfilling experience for you? It was. It was, and that that all goes back to Big Lake. Like, like when I said that there were a lot of horrible things said, that video. I mean, that's an old video. That was 11 years ago. Um, the guy posted on the internet. He posted on IMDb message he posted boards. On IMDb, <laughs> which I don't think those exist anymore. I don't think um, so. Yeah, he said something along the lines of, uh, 
my agent should hang herself. That's if how she, bad I was. Yeah, like your agent, if she hasn't hung herself already. Yeah. I mean, when someone's saying your agent should kill themselves, right. I remember reading that and going like, like laughing. I was able to laugh at it at least. Just be like, wow, that's harsh. That's <laughs> really not even is. I should kill myself. It's that my agent right. <laughs> will now be outed to the entertainment industry as having such bad judgment that <laughs> she tried to get me a career. And yeah, I tracked that guy down. We had a very uncomfortable video. Um, <laughs> but the, the, the funny postscript is that the video went a little bit viral. Mm-hmm. And then that guy reached out to me and was like, hey, man, do you have any advice? These people are saying all this mean stuff about me in the comments. And I was like, you got to be fucking kidding me, man. <laughs> You're asking me for advice on that? I was like, yeah, I guess it just happens sometimes, bro. <laughs> it was weird. Oh, that is beautiful. Uh, let's see here. We have some questions from listeners. So I take questions on Patreon. and I'm on Patreon, patreon.com slash Allison Rosen. Tony, do it. Mm. Patreon. Thank you very much. Um, Is this first one from Anthony T? Was that your tormentor? No, tormentor. Oh, 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 Anthony. (laughs) I would love if every question from the Patreon is some iteration of Tony. Right. (laughs) Fun fact. Not to to shit on your uh, fun, but my name's not Anthony. It's actually just Tony. Really? Yeah. Wow. Aren't I just so interesting? (laughs) How do you feel about that? uh i'm fine with it it's it's i feel like it's it's a uh yeah i don't know i don't really have super strong feelings either i think everybody then assumes i'm italian because my name is just tony but and you're not uh, you're not italian either it's not anthony and you're not italian yeah my parents just liked the name tony but not the name anthony you know what tony the fact that you're not an anthony is a fun fact so could you play the uh i'm not an anthony my name is actually just tony that's a fun fact. Perfect. Okay, so I'm on Patreon. Weekly bonus episode, Zoom parties. There's a level where you can text me and I'll text you back. Uh, you get access to the Thursday show videos when it is remote. I am not yet set up for in-person videos, but I will be soon, I swear. This particular one, you, the Monday shows you can watch on YouTube, youtube.com slash Allison Rosen. Okay, so we have some questions that were sent in on Patreon. When we ask, they send them in They're wondering how you have been So thanks so much for answering These questions from our fans All right, Tammy H. says, What is your opinion of Morrissey now? I remember you on Jimmy Fallon when you showed his autograph tattooed on your arm. Do you think he's a jerk as a person, but amazing as an artist? Also, how are you doing? Um, How am I doing? I feel like we covered that a lot better than it was a few months ago. I'm telling you guys, started this new medication and it was within hours. Anybody out there who's hesitant, wow. give it a shot. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, they put me on Adderall though, so it's just, I'm taking amphetamines, so that helps. That's that the one I, that made you feel better within hours? Oh, uh, I felt like myself for the first time. Nice. I, I've had that exact same experience. It's wild. It's yeah. wild. It's the only thing I've ever taken where it would, imme- yeah, same thing, like just immediate. I was like, oh, yeah, I feel so much better. My shrink has me like microdosing it. I take 2.5 milligrams every four hours. Just a oh, wow. Kick, just a little amphetamine kick every now and then throughout the day. Um, I'm feeling much better as far as Morrissey goes. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think it's, you can't deny he's, he's, he, he's past the tipping point. I can't defend him. Um, 
I feel bad because I feel like British fans were kind of warning the American fan base for a long time of like this guy's done some really concerning stuff, but a lot of it involved like Union Jacks and the symbology that is easily understood in Britain and we were kind of willfully ignorant, but I hit my breaking point with his comments about like the Kevin Spacey victims and then it just keeps going from there. And then even just last week he called COVID convid and um, <laughs> I, I mean, Smith songs come on. I still flip out. I think they're incredible. I'm glad that that band exists in my life. Even a lot of his solo stuff, like Vox Hall and I, that's a brilliant album. But I can't give him money anymore. Um, I just can't do it. I, I can't I can't go see him anymore. And I, I'm probably going to get the tattoo covered, if I'm being honest. Mm. You have two. Two I do. I have his, tattoos, right? Yeah, I have, his, I have a lyric of his on my arm. And that I think I'll keep because the lyric is incredible. It takes strength to be gentle and kind. I think I that, that that's, I think that's a very good thing to have on there. And like when my son asks me what it means, I'll be very, very happy to be able to explain that one to him. But as far as having not not just the word Morsi, but like he actually drew it there. Mm -hmm. It's that I've thought about getting like '80s era above it, or like <laughs> remember when Morrissey right. wasn't insane. But then yeah. I'm like, do I want a bit on my arm for the rest right. of my life? An you know? asterisk. <laughs> a few years ago, I would have, you know, if I was still single, I probably would have just gone and made a joke mm -hmm. and extended it into something like that. But now I'm like, uh, the beautiful thing is now that I have a son, I'm like, well, if I can convert this into a tattoo about my son, like I'll never regret that. Like, yeah, never. Um. Okay, Whitney C says, who's the last person you snapped at and why? Oh, uh, I mean, I hate to say it, but look, I'm, I am married and I love my wife and I think people heard me talk about her in glowing terms tonight with nothing but fondness and affection. But I'm also like, I'm also a husband in a domestic partnership and sometimes I screw things up and then I get called out on them and I get defensive and I snap about it. So sadly, the answer is Hallie has to take it on the chin for me being a dickhead when I'm a dickhead. Um, and do I feel great about that? No, but that's the answer is it was probably, I can actually tell you what it was. She's an environmentalist and she's bought these reusable bee, beeswax coverings that we use instead of saran wrap. Mm. And I, I left one in the sink wet and it got ruined. And she said, please don't do that. And then I said something snippy. <laughs> I feel bad. Do they work as well as saran wrap? Um, Sure. <laughs> uh okay jeffrey williams so two people have this question jeffrey williams and veronica i'd love to hear him talk up more about action park it's actually class action park right class that action park's the documentary yeah yeah that documentary was so entertaining and he was the best part i thought that's nice i was lucky i got to be a part of that one those guys asked me to do it i didn't nobody knew it was going to go to hbo so I was honestly just kind of like screwing around and I'm glad that I was because I felt like I watched it back. I was like, oh, they used me a lot. And I was just kind of like loose. And my wife was like, oh, you're really funny in this. Like, <laughs> which felt good. The Gethard show, I always had to host and keep things organized. Mm -hmm. And then like Career Suicide has such maudlin stretches and unfunny stretches that I was like, I'm glad I get to do a thing where I just like say some funny shit because I think I am a comedian who knows how to do that too. And yeah, I just, I'm lucky that everybody watched that thing. I had nothing to do with making it. I was just a hired gun, but 
everybody and, and we moved back to new jersey and it came out a month or two later and it was amazing timing because i was like the king of new jersey last <laughs> summer we go out like they opened up outdoor dining and the first time we went to a restaurant some guy came over and was like action park respect i was like whoa this is wild <laughs> one time we moved out to the woods i was walking around on this road near our house just like a country road through the woods and this some dickhead in a porsche like passed me and then jammed on his brakes and threw it to reverse and Rolled down the window, was like Action Park. I was like, yeah, and then he peeled out. <laughs> so it's it's wild how many people saw that thing, and I'm I'm glad people got a kick out of it because that place was insane. And in it, yeah. Can you explain what Action Park was in the documentary? Action Park was this uh, water park in New Jersey, uh, opened in the '70s, and it was really big in the '80s um, through the mid '90s. Music fans too, that like. A lot of music fans might be going, I feel like I've heard of it. Warp Tour used to stop there. They used to ah. do Warp Tour. They used to make Action Park stop um, there. And it was just a notoriously dangerous water park. And we all knew it. It's, it's, anybody who was raised in the 80s and 90s knows there was this very strange, the more I think about it, the more I realize how weird it is that like, we were constantly being told like anyone in a van is going to molest you. Mm. Hey, like yes. here's, here's a milk carton with a kidnapped child on it. There's Satanists everywhere. Right. If you ever get handed a Mickey mouse stick on tattoo, it's LSD. Don't lick it. Yes. I was afraid of that. Everything, too. right? Every apple, never eat an apple. You get right. on Halloween. There's a razor. Everything. Martin preschool. Oh yeah. All of it. And yet, Everything we were told was to scare us, but then it was just actually a lawless time where it was like, yeah, go ride a bike and go find some bike jumps and fucking slam into a tree. And we'll, like, it was also just like, hey, go outside, come back at dinner. Mm -hmm. We don't care where you are in between. Like, so the the actions and words didn't match up. I feel like Action Park was kind of the ultimate representation of it, which was like this very shady water park where every employee was a teenager. There was mass drunkenness. People got hurt all the time. It was in the newspapers. People got killed on a regular enough basis that it was that it was noted and weird. Mm -hmm. And yet, if you grew up in New Jersey in the eighties and nineties, like you, you had to go. And if you had a chance to go, you went. And it tied into that New Jersey thing too, of like, hey, just go be tough. Like, go survive. Who cares? So the documentary, I think, did a really, really good job of kind of like saying like, here's funny stories about this fucked up water slide park. Also, why were, why did we allow things like this to happen? And we were also <laughs> pretending there was all this concern for kids. But no, like here's like, you know, and then they show the headlines of all the different kids who died there on the rides. You go, and you're like looking at the timeline. I'm going, oh, how? I went there after that. Mm -hmm. My parents saw that in the paper. That that paper got delivered to our house every day. Like, why is that place allowed to stay open? And why did we all go? And why did we like it? So it's pretty, it's pretty funny because most of it's just fucked up stories about water slides. But then it has those layers that cut a bit deeper too. Right. I need to see this. Tony, just Tony, not Anthony. Have you seen it? Yeah, it's great. I could. I I was aware of it. Not during its heyday or anything, but uh, it's just one of the, it's in watching it. You will just be like, how was this ever a real thing? Like, it's crazy that it even existed. Like, there's a water slide that went upside down. 
<laughs> yeah, it was stupid. That one was when That's I went. Crazy. That was still it was shut down, but it was still sitting there. It was like a loop de loop water slide. It was right near the entrance, so it was. It was. I think I probably went around ninety two, ninety one, ninety two, ninety three, and you'd hear, oh yeah, there's this water slide. It's a loop, and it didn't work, and people would break their necks on it, and and, and you'd assume, oh, that's a lie, and then you walk in, and the first thing you see is a decommissioned loop de loop water slide, and you just go, oh, it's all real. All of it's real. Yeah. Wow. Unreal. Seth Eisenberg said, I just want to thank you for bringing one man's trash into the world. Everyone should watch it. No spoilers. That is the episode of the Chris Gethard show where people are, the entire show is, is people guessing what's in the dumpster, right? Yeah. It's the one that people kind of look at and go, that one was actually good. <laughs> and I think, I think fans of the show go, that one kind of figured out how to make what was good about the show palatable. Mm-hmm. And people who weren't fans of the show go, that was the only good one. Um, Interesting. But yeah, like Seth Seth Meyers said it was the best episode of TV that year. And somebody just somebody just wrote a kind thing and said it was maybe the best piece of live television of that decade. Oh, that's um, so nice. Keep in mind, we did 200 episodes and a lot of people would say most of them are hot garbage. But that one we nailed. People do should you go agree? watch it. But what do you think of most of them? A lot of them are, uh, I think a lot of them are bad and a lot of them are good, but good and bad was kind of never the point of that show, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think that the the impulse behind doing it at all is, is really on, like, I look back, I have many conflicted, you know, obviously it's a very important thing to me that show conflicted feelings about it, but I go, you know, we did it for the right reasons and... I think we were like carving out a space that didn't exist beforehand. I think a lot of people found some safe harbor there. I think do, a you lot of, do you regret uh, going to TV with it? It's a really hard question. It's a really hard question. Um, a funny thing is a lot of, there's a lot of public access fans who are like, you sold out, it's fucked up. So I know how Jawbreaker felt. Like <laughs> I, I really understand Jawbreaker. Um, I don't regret it. First of all, a lot of a lot of people go public access was when it was at its best, man. One's man, one man's trash. You can't do that on cable. People will say that. I'll see mm -hmm. people tweeting shit like that, and I go, <laughs> "That was on cable. <laughs> it was on cable. That was on our cable run. That was not a live episode. That was a pre. That was a pre-taped cable thing. So sometimes people always forget that. But, but you know, it's like at the end of the day, like. Maybe I should have just ended the show and said, no, this is like, I want to keep this pure. But then I also look and go, I was, there were a whole bunch of people who worked on the public access show and I was able to bring so many of them and give them their first jobs as segment producers for TV or associate producers or people who did work in TV who was, I, I was able to give them titles much above what they were on mm -hmm. the ladder pre-existing. And then... I did not do this to sit around and like be woke. I don't even know if that was a phrase we were using back in like 2016, I think we went to cable. But my writer's room, you look at my writer's room and I was hiring people like Joe Firestone, her first job. I do not take any credit for Joe's job. Julio Torres, one of his first jobs. Anna Fabrega, Will Miles, Robbie Hoffman. Like all these people are killing it and who are very much not like me. And I remember our show was on cable in a, 
uh, an article came out about how like late night is dominated by white men. And there was all this stuff about how I think Stephen Colbert's writer room, even his writer's room at the time was all white dudes. Mm -hmm. And I just looked around. I was like, man, like I have five people on screen with me. There's like a core of five of us and two of them are female when there's no other female presence on late night. Our writer's room has people of every inclination. Our writer's room has has straight people, queer people, black people, white people. It has guys. It has girls. It has people who don't really give a shit about that or who define themselves someplace in between. We have people who immigrated to this country. And I wasn't doing any of that to prove a point. I just was like, man, like the three guys who wrote it with me on public access, they're all here. They're all white dudes too. I need some... I need some other, I know, I got that. Like I, mm. I got me and a few other guys who grew up like me. So I got to have something else. That was just my instinct, which I think. So anyway, I'm rambling. Long story short is I'm like, yeah, maybe the show lost some heart, but I think I was able to support like a little micro economy and give a lot of people jobs who maybe wouldn't have had those jobs without it. And a lot of them are still working today and maybe it helped, you know, so I can't regret that. Right, that's really great. Uh, do you have a just me or everyone? Just me or everyone. I do. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, Tony. I was alerted to this. Hit it. Sometimes I ponder on something I have thought or done. Is it just me or everyone? All right, Chris Gathard, let's hear your Just Me or Everyone. I wonder if it's just me and a reflection of my mental illness, or are there other people out there who try to control the timing of things via counting backwards? Like if I'm waiting oh. for a subway and the subway is taking too long and I start fearing that I'm going to be late, I will go 20, 19, 18, 17. And in my mind, the train now has to arrive before zero. I am now forcing it to arrive. So what anything happens if it doesn't? I go back to 40 where I assume I did something wrong and I start oh, over. That's just mental. That's just mental. That's mental illness, right? That's just pretty cut and dry mental illness. I, I, I can't say that I've done it, but I, I feel like I can identify with that. And I'm trying to think, I feel like I do something maybe similar, but I, I'm blanking on what that is, though. I feel like that's fairly benign mental illness, though, because um, I don't do that. But I like I always set my alarm for like a one or pretty much just a like it's always like something 51 or something 41 or 31. Like I like waking up on a zero or five. That's what other people do, but I'm not going to. So I do weird number stuff, too. Mm -hmm. I set the microwave for weird time. I actually if I set it for a minute, I never want. I got to end it before the whole minute is up. That's so see, that's oh, okay. like a similar thing. Yeah. Yeah. But I do legitimately think that this gives me some sense of control over things I don't have control over. And that's concerning. Probably. I mean, I'm going to start doing this. Uh, maybe it'll bring me comfort. Oh no. It brings me stress because it doesn't work. Let's keep in mind. It would bring you a lot of comfort if it worked. If it worked. <laughs> I know. I bet you anything people are going to write in. And, and uh, please write in. Email show at gmail.com or tweet to at ARIYNBF. That's where you can submit. You're just me or everyone's. Uh, I think people will let us know that they also do this. You can, I'm sure you're not the only one. I, 
it would make me feel less alone if that was the case. Make Chris feel less alone, everyone. And then also, uh, we do a segment called Hey, Go Fuck Yourself, where you tell someone off and then Tony plays a thing. Do you have anyone you'd like to tell off? Yeah, I mean, I actually am, despite all the talk about how months ago I was almost institutionalizing myself. I'm a pretty happy person, have a pretty great life, and I don't traffic in telling people off too much. But I, I guess just because I mentioned it before, I will say, um, like, you know, People who would come after somebody for being uh, soft, they caught me at a time when it hurt me, mm-hmm. but now I'm kind of, I think I got my head on my shoulders and that Adderall really hits me nice, you know? And those amphetamines are surging through my blood. So I think I'm kind of back at a place where I can be like, you just, you're just bullies who kick down. You're just bullies who try to kick down at things you see as weak and I just don't respect it. And I think that's about as close as I'll come to telling anybody off but you can hear that's me phrasing something in a nice way but in my gut everyone knows how i feel yeah hey hey bullies hey 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 go fuck yourself i have a is that rockapella from the world (laughs) san diego show i have a four-year-old and a two-year-old and there i have two little boys and my it's funny my two-year-old is like if it's possible for a two-year-old to like really be a dude, like he just seems like a very much like a, he's like a dude bro uh, to the extent two-year-old. And my four-year-old is like the sweetest, most gentle soul. And I already feel like if anyone were to ever make him feel bad about that, I will kill them. Understandable. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's my, hey, anyone who would ever make him feel that he should be any way other than he is. Hey, 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 go fuck yourself. First of all, I want to respond by saying, and this is not, this is not me trying to suck up in any way. You seem so awake and you look so healthy. And I'm shocked to hear that you have a four-year-old and a two-year-old because I only have a two-year-old. And I see my Zoom window, and I look like a man who's about to collapse with <laughs> exhaustion. So kudos to you. Thank you, you so much. Great. I don't feel awake. I mean, yeah, I don't feel awake at all. So thank you. That is quite a compliment. I am blown away and impressed that you're holding it together how you are. Uh, I will tell you, I don't know if we just lucked out, but our our firstborn, not a good sleeper, it was a really miserable introduction to parent i mean he's the best but like i just remember that first like i had intense postpartum depression i was just like what have we done um it's i the schedule i'm like going insane i'm not getting enough sleep etc i don't know if you're considering having more but one and done done, okay our second is a good sleeper and has been from the beginning and we really lucked out but um yeah so how so he's two how two-year-oldy is he because our two-year-old like i feel like last week just kicked into like very like all of a sudden he's having temper tantrums, which he had never had. He's very uh, rigid. Suddenly all of a sudden my guys got opinions. It's like, it's out of nowhere too. And do is what month was your two year old born? February. Oh, ours is April. So like, okay. So pretty close. Yeah. Um, Cause yeah, he's end of February. I wonder, I wonder does, does your guy have the same thing too of like, will get pissed about something and won't 
after like 30 seconds won't remember what he's pissed about but oh, just yeah. is still pissed and just won't <laughs> drop being yes. pissed yeah it's, it's even like, though the thing is long gone it's like a trance he's in or something he's yes. gonna work it out yeah yeah and he exper- he also it kind of also melts my heart too because he will sometimes just declare himself to have emotions <laughs> and then like he's experiment like he'll i'll see him like in his high chair eating and he's just like mean muggy. Like I'll see him just like putting food in his mouth, looking at me like, and I'll be like, why are you looking at me like that? And he'll go, and he doesn't have bees. He says peas instead of bees. And he'll go, because I'm mad. (laughs) And I'm like, why are you mad at me? And then he'll look at me. I'll be like, you're not mad at me. And he'll start laughing with joy. Like he's, but I can tell, oh, that's like really cute and funny. But also he's like. Trying it on. And he's feeling these things. He doesn't know what they are. And he's trying to, this is a thing. So yeah, he but he's I he sounds similar to your like there's some dude bro stuff there. Like he loves he loves if the other kids are kicking a ball, he wants to run mm-hmm. over and kick the ball. He's also a physical. He's like his mom. He's not like me. He's like we live we live near a lake that we can swim at pretty frequently and he'll just like run and jump off a dock with his floaties on and the other parents are all like, "Wait, he's two, right?" And right. Like, yeah, and they're like He'll just run, no hesitation, not even slow down at the end and just be in the water, which I think is pretty unusual for a two-year-old. So like, and if it, like, he's got scars, right now he's covered in cuts and scars because he just doesn't feel fear. And he'll mm-hmm. like eat, he'll, he's, he's had stitches already and like. Did that freak you out? I was, uh, it was so bad. I was out of town on work. I was in Canada working mm. and they require really strict quarantine and I was on FaceTime with Hallie and my son. And uh, my son was like really like ball of energy and kind of clearly showing off for me. And Hallie goes, Cal, tell daddy what we did today. I'm going to go brush my teeth. And I was just about to be like, I, I don't know if he's going to slow down. And as she turned around, she hadn't even left the room yet. He just sprinted towards the phone right into the corner of the table. So I saw him just going oh like, my God. and then I saw the phone fall and then I hear my wife screaming and the phone comes back up. He's bleeding. She's covered in blood. Oh my so God. I saw it all on Facebook. It was on uh, FaceTime rather. And it was rough. It was rough, but I bet it was so hard for her. It was, it was having grown up like an idiot boy with an idiot <laughs> older brother. And we would like break each other's bones and fights and stuff. I was like, okay, like, Right away, I'm like, he's going to get stitches, mm-hmm. but he's a boy. It was an honest mistake. She was the one who was there, like, actually getting bled on and traumatized. So I felt really awful about that. Right. Yeah. I, yes, they, like, fall and bump their heads and get bruised and stuff. like. Well, like, Owen, my little, my two-year-old, there was a table that was in his brother's room that was rectangular, and he would throw his head into it. And he did it twice. And then I took the, like, like on purpose. So we took yeah. the table out and now there's a round table in there. But every time I see a, any new bruise or anything, I am always, I always freak out. I don't show them, but inside I'm just like very worried. But my, my wife's brother is like nine and a half years younger than her. So she had all these instincts come to life immediately because she helped raise him. Like she right. was old enough. So right out of the gate, he'd fall and my anxiety riddled nervousness i'd be like oh my god and she'd just be like, stuck stuck doing it and i just quickly yeah. learned like he can fall face first onto a thing and just get up and keep going yeah and it's really true but yeah he's uh 
he's definitely shown his war scars, but in a way where I'm like, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool that I have the son who keeps like getting cuts because he's like going for it too hard. Yeah, that's sweet. <laughs> um, it was so nice to have you on the show, Chris. We didn't even talk about your comedy special. Everyone needs to go listen to it. It's called Half My Life. Tell us uh, where we can get it and please plug anything you'd like to plug. Sure. Half My Life, uh, the albums on all the streaming services, the video is like a half documentary, half comedy special where I go to uh, nine or 10 different DIY venues and perform jokes. And there's footage of my son. It's just kind of like, hey, I'm 40 now and I have been doing this since I was 20 and here's some jokes and here's also me wondering how this ends and uh, people might like it. You can get it at Amazon and Apple and, and Vimeo and all sorts of places and it's nice and cheap and I hope you like it. Awesome. Um, if you like what you're hearing, please make sure that you're subscribed or following or whatever the language is in your app of choice. Please leave us a nice comment. Five stars, please. It helps out the show so much. Tell your friends, etc. Uh, follow me on social media at Allison Rosen on Twitter and Instagram. I have a book out called Tropical Attire and Courage and Other Phrases That Scare Me. I'm on Cameo. And I mentioned Patreon earlier, but I forgot to tell you if you like a deal, uh, if you sign up for a year, so an annual subscription, you get two months free. So it's 12 months for the price of 10. Also, I'm an Amazon influencer. Uh, so if you go to amazon.com slash shop slash Allison Rosen, amazon.com slash shop slash Allison Rosen, you can shop my podcasting gear. I'm about to add a new mic and new headphones to the list. Um, makeup, beauty stuff, home stuff, Daniel's Corner. I've got stuff for the kids, et cetera. Uh, Tony, what about you? I am on Twitter and Instagram at Tony Thaxton and my podcast Bizarre Albums every Tuesday and uh, also hey go get vaccinated if you're not vaccinated let's get this shit over with and because uh, I want to go on tour next year and I don't want that to get canceled and those tickets are on sale motioncitysoundtrack.com yeah I agree with you do Thank it you. <laughs> don't be um, a dangling that's right Thank you so much, Chris. It was so nice having you on the show. Listeners, thank you for listening. I love you. You matter. Goodbye. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen show? We had a good time, but now we gotta go. Yeah, Allison Rosen is your new best friend.